Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. We give you thanks this morning. We give you thanks, Lord, that you open our eyes and you let us see, you let us understand. You reveal the things that you have for us, that Jesus Christ has opened up a new and living way so that we can follow the Lord, so we can serve the Lord, so we could be a light to the world and salt of the earth, O oh God. We pray, Father God, that this day you would continue to speak to our hearts as we continue to understand what you're calling us to, that we would know the fullness of what you, the times of the Lord are, what, what is going on in this world, Lord. And I pray, Father, that we would be a part of your ranks, that we would be part of your army, the host of the Lord's army. We pray, Father God, that you would make us strong, that we would understand the weapons of our warfare, that we would understand the armor of God for our lives, for our families. We pray, Lord, that we would be those that fight the battles uh, at home, Lord, in our marriages for what God wants in our lives. And Father, as we share these words, we want to be your people fighting your battles in this season of our life, Lord. That we would not walk in the flesh, not walk according to how we would consider a fight is, but that we would understand in the spiritual realm how to overcome the enemy, O oh God. And we give you thanks, Lord, for the church of Jesus Christ who has a, such a powerful role in the last days, Lord, to uh, reconcile all men so that all men might come to you. And Father, we give you thanks for this word. Let it prosper in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Everybody has a, a different mindset as to spiritual battle. And I want to tell you, I've, I've, uh, if I've learned something being a Christian, is that the the fight becomes ever more increasing. It becomes uh, far more fierce as the day go by. And it's in different realms. Uh, at one day I was fighting with issues in my personal life, trying to overcome the enemy, uh, temptation, uh, the snares of the evil one, uh, the, what, what's called the spirit of lust, where the Bible says for us to flee. And the Bible calls for us to resist the devil and he's gonna flee. So all these battle languages are a reality in the Bible. Now, uh, two mistakes that are made by Christians everywhere is some overemphasize spiritual battle. And I had this once happen to me as I was sharing on spiritual battle. A man came up to me after the service and says, that's why I have some grenades at home. And I'm like, this guy didn't get what I was telling. Um, but some, some people overdo it and they get into the realm of let's go to an abortion clinic and bomb it and all this stuff. Well, that's not what the Lord says is spiritual battle. That's not what the Lord is calling us to. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, the Bible says. There are spiritual beings that are active. And while there are those that overemphasize spiritual battle and, and they take it into the physical realm, there are a whole onslaught of people that underestimate spiritual battle. And they don't see the devil anywhere. And they don't see that the devil is calling into them into a snare. Um, it was uh, tremendous to see that, that sometimes we're being so curious with things that are not from the Lord. And we end up totally taken by them. And I was trying to teach this to a youth group some years ago. And the only thing that I could, that I could think of is how the devil is, is about like a roaring lion seeking whom to devour. And some people don't think so. Some people think, no, it's not, it's not the devil, it's just Johnny, you know, and we're in love. Well, you're going to find out the end of this whole scenario that it was the devil's snare. 
and it was there to destroy you. A business partnership, you might think, is, is okay, and it was just the devil's plot to be able to destroy you. And so we need to not overestimate the devil and see him in everything, but please do not underestimate his efforts at destroying you and your family and your future because the Bible says he is seeking whom he may devour. And so present-day Christianity doesn't even deal with this anymore. We're living a Christianity nowadays where the devil doesn't exist, where there are no uh, principalities and powers and dominiums like the Bible says. So no one is going around with their armor on. They're not wearing the armor of God as it says in Ephesians 6. But I want to go to an Old Testament passage uh, that talks about the church. And this is found in the book of Joel chapter 2. In the book of Joel chapter 2, the whole first part of that passage deals with a certain time in the future that a people will arise. I believe this to be the church of Jesus Christ. I believe that, that the church of Jesus Christ will be extremely uh, involved in military tactics, not physically, remember, but spiritually. And in Joel chapter 2, we see how the Lord reveals these overcoming people. Joel chapter 2 verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm in the holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming and it is at hand. I want to tell you that I don't know what type of trumpet they're asking for there. But I hope it doesn't sound like a circus. I hope that trumpet doesn't sound like get your popcorn here, come and see the two-headed giant, come and see the three-legged horse. I hope that you're not involved in a church that blows that type of trumpet. I hope that you're not in a church that wants to play Jimmy Buffett songs as you enjoy an afternoon picnic. I want you to say that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 8, it says, Make sure that when the trumpet sound is not an uncertain sound, because if it is an uncertain sound, then who will prepare himself for battle? You need to be able to hear and to know the times of the Lord and know that we're not living times to goof off or play around. At least I don't have... Uh, an opportunity to play church. I, I'm, I'm not into this whole thing of, of church anity, of, of being a Christian that doesn't listen to Christ, of, of being part of, uh, of a church that doesn't serve the Lord. Because the very essence of the church is to serve Jesus Christ, is to prepare to serve Him, to, to be found faithful and blameless at the Lord's return. A friend of mine says that butts and seats is not the church because there's butts and seats at a uh, Guns N' Roses concert. And that's not, that's not a powerful force. So our gathering to fill in seats and to sit down on or behind is not the church. We need to hearken unto the voice of the Lord and begin to distinguish and learn how to hear his voice. We cannot be lost we cannot not know the will of God for our lives. Uh, this weekend, there will be many churches that will be having harvest gatherings to celebrate Halloween. They said, we're not going to celebrate Halloween. We got a harvest fest. And so we go buy our pumpkins. And so we're, we're, we're not like the world, but we're right there, uh, almost similar to the world. 
um, so we don't miss our Halloween holidays. But let me tell you something, there's a kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of darkness. And there's no straddling the fence. The Bible says you can't eat here of the table of the Lord and then go this weekend and, or the coming weekend and eat of the table of demons. We can't do that. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. So a lot of people do not want to come to be and identify with the church. I just had one of the young people in our church uh, tell me yesterday that uh, the first week of September was stand at the pole. This is a gathering of Christians in public schools that meet at the flagpole. And he says, Pastor, there's 30 Christians in our school, and at the stand at the pole, not one of them showed up. And I said, that's sad. That's sad that Christians do not have the ability to stand for what they believe. Uh, yesterday, we had the opportunity to help a friend move. And as we were helping him move, it's because he's been divorced. He's lost his family. He's lost his business. He's lost his home. And now he's moving into a smaller home. And I turned to a young man. I said, don't you ever forget what Jesus Christ did for your family. Don't you ever forget that this could be your dad you're helping to move today. And because God is so great and God is so wonderful, we stand up for God despite the fact that no one stands. We will stand for our God. We will stand for the great things our God has done. And so here we see in Joel 2 that they're asking for a trumpet to be sounded. And I don't know what alarm you sound to your children. And I, I was just in Peru and we were staying at a home where this, uh, these parents had three daughters. And they said, well, you know that our daughters like to go to nightclubs and they like to have boyfriends and they like to have everything. And I said, it's sad. It's sad that you're not preparing your daughters with the vision to marry someone who loves Jesus Christ. It's sad that you have not given your family a future in the blessing of God. You are compromising the plan of God over your household. So I think that the church is just that. The church has to be a place where we make God a vibrant reality to our children. I want my kids to be able to stand at the gate like it says in Psalm 127. It says, they shall stand at the gate and they shall be able to give reason to those who ask what they, what they uh, question them. Could you please put your finger there on Joel 2? Let's go to Psalm. Um, it's sad that we're living in a time where our children do not know how to answer the world when they're challenged about their Christianity. But it says in Psalm 127, in verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Our kids are not flimsy. They're not being tossed to and fro like some Tupperware. So are the children of our youth. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. Because these young men will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies at the gate. I love when I see my kids stand up for the Lord. I love when I see them stand up for righteousness. I love the fact that they don't follow the way of the sinner. They don't stand in the path of those who mock God because they can very well do that. But being from a vibrant church where we're not compromising who we are nor what we're doing in this place, we're those that have put away the flesh. We've put away the things that we desire so that we could attain the things that God desires. Going back to Joel 2, sound the alarm. What is the trumpet sound in your house? Does it sound like a flute or does it sound like a trumpet? Is it a harmonica? Are you playing the blues because you have to serve the Lord? Let's sound a, a sure alarm for our children to stand up. For the day of the Lord is coming. 
And that's the same place where a lot of Christians are going to stand. And on that day, they will change their tune. And they will go, right? They're going to say, I was with you the whole while. No, you were not, my friend. You were playing some sissy song out there, compromising your convictions to this world. And the Bible says that if you, being the salt, lose your flavor, you're no longer good but to be trampled underfoot by men. Why are you a Christian? I don't know. Ask my pastor. That's a joke. You should know why you're a Christian. You should know that you were headed to hell and Jesus Christ saved you and delivered you and forgave you and now you're headed to heaven. It says there in Joel chapter 2 that it is at hand. Look at the description of these people that are about to show up on the scene. We're, We're playing this trumpet sound. A lot of people do not want to identify. They're like, you guys are too intense. You're too radical. You're telling people you're real Christians you got to water it down. Play some worldly songs, some Pat Benatar maybe. Let's play some songs that, that doesn't include the, the name of Jesus. Let's, let's take it easy. But it says that there's a people that is coming great and strong. This is not a flimsy people. It's not a weak people. It's talking about they walk in their convictions. They stand for what they believe, what they say, they think, and what they think they do. We can't find these Christians nowadays. They're all hiding. It says, um, the like of which whom have never been. Nor will there ever be any greater or stronger people for many generations. Verse 3, it says, a fire blazes before them. And the flames are there behind them. Their lives depict the Garden of Eden. The full provisions of a faithful God. Nothing is missing. All things have been given to them. And behind them, those that do not walk with them, behind them, those that backslide, those that fall behind, a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. I've talked to many Christians nowadays and they tell me like this. Surely nothing's going to happen to me. I could not follow the Lord. I could not seek the Lord and I'll do well. I'll be blessed. I'll be prospered. My children after me will do well. That's not the gospel. The Bible says that behind them lies a desolate wilderness. These people in verse 4 says, Their appearance is like the appearance of horses. They're like swift steeds. They run into battle. With the noise like chariots over the uh, uh, mountaintops they leap. Like the noise of a flaming uh, fire devouring the stubble. Ready for this? Like a strong people. Set in a battle array. This is an army, folks. This is not a cruise ship. This is a people that know their God and they know their place and they know how they serve their God. It says that they're strong and they're set in battle array. I've never been in an army. I've never been at war. But I know that you can't fool around there. I know that you cannot be goofing off in the, in the presence of a battle. And that's just where we're at right now. The devil's playing for keeps. He's not messing around. And these people know it. And they're set in the order of their battle. Before them, people writhe with pain. What's that mean? All faces are drained of color. Have you ever told somebody to take Jesus Christ serious? What happens to their face? All the blood is lost. When you tell them quit playing both sides of the fence, what happens? They just grow pale. 
And this is what these people are. This is draw a line between if you're serious or not serious, because I'm serious. And I don't want to be on the side of the line that you are if you're not serious. I don't want to know, be known to hang out with people. I grew up knowing I got to church when I was in high school, and uh, the pastor's son, uh, many years later, I said, why don't we go to church together? He says, no, I'll never go back to church, because a church is a place where, where everybody's a hypocrite. This man is, is, is having an adulterous affair with that woman. This uh, lady has just ripped off this other lady. Uh, you could get some good Tupperware there. You could get some good, um, uh, some, some line of, uh, uh, of cosmetics. But to serve the Lord is another story. He says, I don't want to waste my time at church. I don't want to be there with the people who say they're Christians, but they don't live like Christians when they leave the church. They don't talk like Christians when they go home. They don't meditate on those things that please the Lord. Like David said, let the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you. Let the meditation of my thoughts really uh, be pleasing to the Lord. His praise shall continually be in my lips. Not curse words. Not filth that is coming from the heart. That's not the work God has done. He's done a genuine work. It's not what we're able to do. It's what his grace has done in us. And he'll, he'll be able to bring that grace all the way in for a complete obedience. And so at their faces, um, the, there'll be pain there in, in, as people see them. Verse 7, they will run like mighty men. I don't know if you've seen Christians nowadays. They're like, should I stay or, or do, you think, do you think I could go? No. Let's, let's run into battle. Let's, here I am, Lord. Send me. I want to be a man of battle. And these men are running not like sissies. They're running like mighty men. They're climbing walls. What is a wall? Do you know what a wall is? It's an offense. Have you ever been thrown an offense? Yeah, somebody took my parking place this morning. I'm not coming back to church. Somebody took my chair and made me stumble. The pastor's taking too long on his sermon on Wednesdays. I got to go. Every little stumbling is an occasion for a fall. But these mighty men says they will climb walls. And I could just see them. They're like men of war. Nothing's going to stop them. Everyone marches in his formation and they never break ranks. They're not goofing off. They're not, they're not losing step with where God is calling them. Verse 8 says like this, they do not push one another. Everyone marches in his column. I want to tell you that um, no one's taking your place and you can't replace anyone. Because for each one of us, there is a calling, there's a place for us to stand and man our post and serve the Lord. But we tend to drift off a little bit. We tend to get distracted. Uh, we always use the example of, a, of one of the young men here at the church who joined the Navy, right? He says, I'm going to go join the Navy because I like their uniform. Well, let me tell you something. The Navy is much more than just wearing a uniform because on the very first day when they put all the first class there in basic camp, they put them at attention for 23 hours. Well, when three hours had gone by, he sat on the ground and he says, you know something? I don't want to be in the Navy. He hadn't done anything, but he could not be obedient. He hadn't done anything, but he had no self-control. You'd want to know why they make you do this in the Navy? Because at the heat of battle, you cannot be doing your own thing. You cannot be leading your own troops in your own direction. Because the loss is great. So these men are each in their own position. They stand their own column. 
Everyone marches according to his call. Though they lunge between weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into houses. They enter at the windows like thief. The earthquakes before them. In verse 11 it says, The Lord gives a voice before his army. For his camp is a very great and large camp. For strong is the one who execute his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who could endure it? I want to tell you that I know that this is not being preached around town because it doesn't make for attraction, right? I don't want to go to church and hear like I, sounds like I'm listening to a, a sergeant, right? A drill sergeant. No. Listen to what I'm saying. That the things that are going to take place upon the earth are going to require for you to take God serious. They're going to require for you uh, to be able to give a legacy to your children of what church is all about. It's not about coming here to feel good. It's not about coming here and just listening to a good sermon. It's the preparation to be in tune with God. But look what happens in Matthew 17, verse 1. One day Jesus takes three of his disciples up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And there they see a sight that was amazing. At the top of the mountain, they see Jesus transfigure himself into a glorified body. In verse 3. Verse 2, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes was bright as the light. And behold, there appeared Moses and Elijah, appeared to them talking with him. Now, whenever we see a, a heavenly sight like this, we get excited. How many say amen? Whenever we see what's going on in church, we got a couple ideas of our own. How many say amen? Nobody said amen. But here at the highlight of this mountain, Peter decides to say, okay, I'm going to decide what I'm going to say. Verse 4. And Peter answered and said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's go on a couple of picnics. We'll pass out a couple lunches. We'll relax. We'll have a concert. We'll have a good time, Lord. Look, this is a great place to do three stadiums so that you, you could play one night, Elijah could play one night, Moses could play one night. Man, we'll be blown away by the sight. Man, thank God that God speaks from the heavens. And in verse 4, he says like this, verse 5. While he was still speaking, behold, the bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, Hey, stupid, shut up. How is it that we have sequestered the work of God upon the earth? We've made the church a circus. The, the Christians don't know God better than any worldly person knows God. They haven't been taught to listen to his voice. They haven't been taught to take the blessing home. They haven't been taught to prosper in all things. They're Christians for 20 years but they're at the back seat of great sorrow because they have not listened to God. And so from up in heaven, a voice comes out and says, this is my son. This is, this is all about what Jesus is doing upon the earth. This is about what I desire to do amongst my people. Because I'm well pleased with the plans that I have. And then that, that last part. Could you please shut up and listen to him? I know that you have a lot of things you wish God could do. I know we've become accustomed to treating God like our butler. 
Lord, bless me in the morning, bless me in the evening, bless me in the nighttime. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Prosper me, bless me, prosper me, bless me, prosper me. And I want to know when is the day that you're going to say, Lord, I want to hear your voice. What are your plans? I know I have great plans. I have great ideas of what, how you can bless me. But I guarantee you they don't compare to God's plans for the church. And many times we sequester God's plans and we run into our own loss, into our own destruction. It says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, he says, make sure that you're engaging in this thing like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You know what I've learned about a soldier? A soldier doesn't speak very much. He takes orders. He's not making commands. He's receiving them. We're reading 2 Timothy 2, 3. Lord, could you mold me a little bit so that I could start enduring some hardship like a soldier of Jesus Christ? Why? Because it seems that any little thing takes me into a different direction. I don't know about you, but I don't know a soldier to run or to retreat or to withdraw. Lord, help us to grow, to be enduring those hardships as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, because no one... Engaged in a warfare, no one who's fighting a battle entangles himself with the affairs of this life. We'll never be able to be the people of God unless we let go of the things of this world. Unless we begin to concentrate on what God has for us in his game plan. No one entangles himself. No, no one purposefully gets involved with the things of this life, the concerns of this life. Why not? so that he could please him who enlisted him as a soldier. I want to know something. Have you been enlisted as a soldier of Jesus Christ? No, I'm just visiting. Have you enlisted? Have you said, Lord, here I am. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to, to fight the battles of the Lord. Many people don't understand what it is to fight the battles of the Lord, but I want to tell you that there's great legacy for those who fight. For those who fight the battles of the Lord, everything they do shall prosper. And we see this in 1 Samuel 25, 28. As Abigail is talking to David, she says, For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. I want you to underline that. Your house is going to prosper. Your house is going to be blessed. Your future is secure. Why? Because my Lord fights the battles of God. Because we are those that stand up for God when no one else stands up. We're the ones that speak when no one speaks. We're the ones that are present when you cannot find someone taking God serious. I want you to always remember that if you're one of those that are standing as a soldier of the Lord, fighting his battles, your house will endure. Your house will prosper. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. God will stand next to you and a thousand shall fall at your left and ten thousand at your right. But they won't come near to you. And this is what I've asked the Lord. And this is what David asked of the Lord. As he stood there before Goliath, he says, no one wants to go out there and fight, but I want to fight and stand. 
I want to go against your enemies when no one wants to go against them. I know that this day, victory shall be mine. Because I don't come on my own strength, I come in the name of the Lord. And this is what God is asking of us. While some are deciding to take a different path, the path of most convenience. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, Paul considered those who walked with him fellow soldiers. Fellow soldiers. In Philippians 2.25, he says, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Ephroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. Isn't that awesome? That we can consider each one of ourselves as those who fight the battles of the Lord. And it has a lot of merit to know that we are gathering with warriors. It has a lot of merit to know that we're fighting with mighty men of God. Mighty women of God who have not withdrawn and retreated, who are not coward in their going forward. I love this because it shows that our fight is not a fight free from enemies. In Psalm 23 verse 5, he says, You prepare a banquet table before me at home on my living room couch. No. In the very presence of those that want to knock my head off. I want to tell you something that Israel was not always a fighting people. They are a shadow and a type of who we were. And there was a time in our life where we couldn't fight the battles of the Lord. We didn't know how to overcome the enemy. We didn't know how to take up our armor and stand against the devil's plans. But here God made of this people a great and mighty people. A people that were willing, they're the smallest army on the planet. And yet they hold the biggest front and they have the best fighters. It's in the presence of your enemies that God has called you. If you don't like that, you're in the wrong place. Because many people say, why do we have to go through so many battles? How come so many struggles? Let me tell you something, that right here, the banquet table is set. And it's set before you in the presence of your enemies. So from time to time, the enemy will strike and all of a sudden that banquet table, which is said, is knocked over. And some of us sit there and see the banquet table suffering and we sit there and say, oh, now what are we going to do? Look what happened. Look what happened to our banquet table. You know what a warrior does? He sets that table back up in the presence of his enemies. He sets it back up and he sits back down. And they come and they attack again and they want to throw you down. They want you to quit. They want you to throw in the towel. And you know what you do? You pick up back the remnants of what's left and you say, this is the house of God. And you go forward. In 2007, we had the opportunity to go to Israel and we were able to see the surrounding nations as, as even as of recently in the past couple of years when Syria and Lebanon were throwing missiles into Israel. You know what they told, our, our tour guide told us, there was about 50 of us there in Israel and they said, you know what we've learned to do? When the enemy throws missiles over to us, within 24 hours we repair all damages. Why? Because psychologically, it tells the people no damage has been done, and it tells the enemies we're not quitting. So I don't know what you're accustomed to when the enemy throws some missiles at you if you sit there and make a little memorial of your defeat and loss. 
That's not what God wants. Because we're more than victorious in Christ Jesus. We know that victory is ours in Jesus' name. And so we've become strong in battle. We become strong in coming against the enemy. I remember being a young person and, and messing up so many times. I'd find myself on the canvas of that boxing ring, spiritually speaking. And the devil would come and say, you hypocrite, you're going to stand up again? And I said, I'd rather be a hypocrite than to be with you. I'd rather stand up a million times than to stay down here defeated. And I thank God for the victories of the Lord. I thank God for what he teaches us how to do warfare, how to fight the battles of the Lord. And this is what's going on there in Psalm 23. As he, in the presence of our enemies, he prepares a banquet table for us. It was there in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 14 that Nehemiah had to gather to build the kingdom with a weapon in one hand and a construction instrument in the other. There's not going to be a time of rest for us that are living for God. And this is the admonition we receive from the Lord. Nehemiah 4.14. It says, I looked around and I told the leaders, I told the noblemen, I told everyone who would listen, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of your enemies. Remember the Lord. He's great and awesome. And fight for your brethren. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your houses. There's one common word in all that. What is it? Fight. We're going to fight the battles of the Lord. We're going to fight unbelief. We're going to fight unforgiveness. We're going to fight every addiction that the devil could shoot against us. It says, and it happened when our enemies heard this, that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing. See, when the devil finds out that you're not quitting, he has to find another plan. When he sees you're not giving up, he has to come back with something else. And so they sat there from that time on, and they worked at the construction of the city of God. They were lifting up the work of the Lord with their spears and their shields, with their bows, and they wore an armor. The leaders were behind the house of Judah, those who built the wall, and those who carried the bricks and the cement. They loaded themselves up so that with one hand they worked at the construction, and with the other hand they were holding up their weapon of warfare. I don't know about you. I don't know if this is too strong for this morning, but I want to tell you, God wants us to get even stronger in our walk with the Lord. God wants us to be known in the city as people who fight and who do not back down. In Deuteronomy 7.22, he says, And the Lord your God will drive out every enemy that stands before you little by little. I understand you want all your enemies to be destroyed in one second. Guess what? It's not going to happen. Little by little, God gives you strength to take territories. Little by little, God gives you strength to stand upon his word. Little by little, God gives you strength to live and to know the truth so that it sets you free. You will be unable to destroy them at once. But I was telling somebody yesterday, how do we eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do we overcome all these battles? Just one temptation at a time. Let's, let's walk in victory. In Deuteronomy 20, we see there, there was instructions before you went to war. And one of the instructions was, if you're a scaredy cat, go home. If you're a scaredy cat and don't like to fight, you don't belong in this army. You'll be like those in Revelations that says the coward and the unbelieving will have their part in the lake of fire. Those that do not fight the battles of the Lord will lose by default because they did not believe God. 
And if you read with me Deuteronomy 20, why God tells you not to be a coward is because he goes with you into battle. And he goes with you into battle to give you the victory. He's going to give you the end result. It says there in verse 3, And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart be faint. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. Do not tremble because of your enemy. For the Lord your God, he goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to deliver you. Isn't that incredible? Look what verse 8 says. The officers then shall speak, is there anyone fearful or faint-hearted? Let him go and return home so that he does not scare his brother's heart. Because cowardice is contagious. I remember as a young man, whenever I was hanging around with people that wanted to fight, I was braver and more, I had more courage. And when I was around people that didn't want to come out of the car, I was in the car also. God wants us to be around warriors. God wants us to take on those battles. But he says if there's anyone fearful or faint-hearted, they don't belong in this place. Go join some other community outreach. Go join some other uh, country club. This is not the place. And usually we all start off with a lot of fear. In Judges chapter 6, verse 12, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and says, Hey, mighty man of courage. And what did he say? Who, me? Who, me? Yes, you. God is going to fill you with boldness. God is going to fill you with strength. God is going to fill you with courage. God is going to allow you to hold the head of those giants like David did with Goliath. But we need to have no confidence in the flesh. And that's what happens a lot of times in this place. Philippians 3.3 says, we are the circumcision. We're not fighting these battles on a human front. We're not looking at these enemies in the natural. But we worship God in spirit and glory in Christ Jesus, having no confidence in the flesh. We're not going to overcome because we're strong. We're not going to overcome because we know how. We're going to overcome in His name. The victory is in His name. God brings us and ushers in, us in the crown of victory if we persist in the fight. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that it says, We do not warfare according to the flesh. I don't know what's going on, but sometimes we think that because we can't overcome in the flesh, we're never going to try in the spirit. And the Bible says the, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. 2 Corinthians 10.4 We're not thinking like the world thinks. This week at the men's meeting, we learned that men do not react children react children are the ones that instantly say things without thinking do things without considering go places without planning what they're going to do and so we learned this week at the men's meeting we said we're not going to react no more we're not going to react to what's happening you know what we're going to do we're going to first be still nothing that our wife says is going to make us lose control Nothing that's happening in our workplace is going to make us go make a dumb decision. We're going to first be still. We're going to pray. We're going to seek the face of God. We're going to seek wise counsel. We're going to consider and meditate in our ways. And then we're going to make a decision according to the counsel of God. That beats reacting. 
And that's a way that we do warfare. Because here Paul is talking about the, the, the trifling that happens at church. This whole warfare he's talking about, if you read a little bit farther down, you'll see that he's talking about in verse 2. I beg you, I'm present. I may not be bold with confidence by which I intend to be bold once I get there. Who think of us as if we're walking in the flesh. For we are not walking in the flesh. And our warfare is not according to the flesh. Our weapons are not carnal weapons. He's saying there's some people in Corinthians, they're all out of order. And I'm not going to show up and continue to be out of order myself. I'm going to consider what the devil's trying to do. I'm going to consider what God wants me to do. And I'll proceed as God has instructed. And then he says, usually, in verse 5, these strongholds are arguments that have lodged themselves in our lives. Every high thought that lifts itself up above the knowledge of God. Those I will take captive and bring them to obedience. What is the greatest key for, for, for warfare in the, in, the, in the gospel? Obedience. Find a word of God and be obedient and the devil can't touch you. Find somewhere that God has spoken in your life and come within that instruction. But do not lift up your thoughts above the counsel of God because you will be taken captive. Instead, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience. How? How will I punish all the disorder, all the chaos? I've had people in the last three weeks come up to me saying, how do I fix my life? You know what I tell them? Obedience. But how do I fix my life? Obedience. But how do I fix my life? They don't want to talk about obedience, right? They're like deaf or something. Tell me what to do. Obedience. But, but how do I overcome the devil? Obedience. You want peace? Obey. Find something that God is speaking into your life and say amen. Say amen. And the devil will flee. I love seeing Ephesians chapter 6, 5 and 6. Because Ephesians chapter 5, he's saying, put all these things in order. Husband, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Husband, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, honor your parents. Why? Because we're in the middle of incredible spiritual warfare. We're in the middle of huge chaos. The devil's playing for keeps. Your husband's about to take off with another woman. Your wife is about to disappear and never call you back. Because you're out of order. And all of a sudden, God wants the order, and then he gets into the armor. You could have all the armor on. And if you're not in the order of God, you are an easy prey to the enemy. The devil doesn't even have to do anything to you. Your out-of-orderedness will destroy you. Let's go to Ephesians real quick, chapter 5. You see all the instruction for God's people. And I bless the name of the Lord this morning that he has spoken this instruction to my life many years ago. That he would tell me how to order my steps. We're reading Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord, husbands, you're the head of your wife. 
Like Christ is the head of the church. As he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their husbands in everything. Everything? Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And he's putting all these things in order. Verse 31. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one. Talking about order. Get your in-laws out of that marriage. Verse 32. This is a great mystery. I'm, I'm talking about Christ and the church. Children. Chapter 6, verse 1. Obey your parents. Because... Honor your father and mother so that it's the first commandment so everything will be well with you. And your fathers do not provoke your children. Employees, be obedient to those who have employed you. God forbid. With fear and trembling, sincerity of heart. Not men pleasers, not with eye service. Not only when they're looking, but doing the will of God. And then it says, masters, do the same things, giving them um, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master in heaven. Employers, treat your employees like you want God to treat you. There is no partiality. And then verse 10, it says, finally, now we're at the end. Now since you've put everything in order, now put on the full armor of God. But a lot of us have the full armor of God and are walking way out of order. You know who's the boss in, in my house? The daughter. Who's the boss in your house? My mother-in-law. Who's the boss in the other? So we have everything out of order. If your daughter's the one that's deciding what's taking place in your house, you got serious problems. If your wife is the one that's been the head because you've defaulted, you're going to have problems. And even if your husband is the head and he's not listening to godly counsel, he has no authority. Just like all these pastors that don't listen to Christ. They're trying to fill their churches with fluff. That's out of order. The devil has them for lunch all the time. They just closed down a church here recently. Because a, a pastor that walks outside of the shadow of the Almighty is easy prey of the devil. I look at 1 Samuel 17 verse 5. And I see that, the, the, that Goliath has a huge armor on. He had a bronze helmet on his head. How many, uh, how many have, have the helmet of salvation on your head? Like it says in Ephesians 6. Put on the helmet of salvation. This Goliath had a helmet of, on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Verse 6. Uh, yeah, verse 6. And had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearheaded weighed 600 shekels, and his shield bearer went before him. This guy was decked out. He had an armor bearer. How do you go to the battles of the Lord? In my fruit of the loom, pastor. Total underwears right there. My, my what's it called? My underoos. Let's stand today and say, God, we want to be your people. We want to be your warriors. We want to fight the battles of the Lord. We want to stand on truth. We want to be bold. The Bible says in Proverbs 28 verse 1 that the righteous are bold as a lion. Why? Because they're walking the walk and they're talking the talk and they're fighting the battles. As we go ahead and close this morning, I, I pray that, that this word serves to encourage you because 
there's going to be a lot more, more fierce battles in the days to come. There's going to be a lot more battles to fight. They're not going to be physical battles. They're going to be spiritual battles. And God has been preparing us for this time. He, uh, us being world changers, we're going to fight the battles of the Lord. We're going to be at the forefront of, of standing up for God on, on the globe in the nations. And we're triumphant people because our God is the head and not the tail. He's the first and, and he stands up victorious above all else. The Bible says he leads us always to triumph. There's not a time where we're going to lose. God will bring you into triumph as you follow him. After Israel knocked down the walls of Jericho as they fought against a huge and strong army, and they were all pumped up in their muscles, they went against a small town, but they went in disobedience and they lost. That small town of Ai. And you know what? While Rahab's wisdom in fear of God saved her whole family, there was one man in the Bible named Achan, and his disobedience caused his whole family to be destroyed. You young girls, you young men, your decisions will determine the victories of your children. If you compromise now, don't expect to have children that are strong for the Lord. They will always be lukewarm. They will always be indifferent. Why? Because they had parents who were lukewarm and indifferent. I've talked to many women who are in their late 50s and they're having huge marital problems and huge, their, their children are suffering. And you know what? They were decisions their mom made when they were 16. When they were at Christian camp at the age of 16, many moons ago, and they decided to not listen to the voice of God. They decided to compromise, they decided to negotiate, and down the road, what happened? That followed them. Let's bow our heads this morning and say, God, we give you thanks that in the presence of our enemies, you have prepared a banquet table, and we will be like Israel within 24 hours of suffering huge loss and devastation by the enemy we will repair the breach we will repair the holes we will repair the walls and the windows we will put back the same trees they knocked down if they should knock them down a hundred times we're gonna stand here because we're not backing up we're not withdrawing we're not giving up we're fighting the battles until we see the promises of God fulfilled in our lives as we sing this song you tell them Lord fill me with your fire fill me with your presence that I not back down, but that I stand up for you to the saving of my family.